Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time that you've provided for us, the opportunity to come together and open up your word. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would take all of this, uh, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, give us ears to hear what it is that you would have for us today that you've already prepared Lord, and I thank you for it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be starting the book of Joshua. Um, But you can't really jump into the book of Joshua without going back a little bit to the end of Deuteronomy. So we're going to actually look a little bit at the end of Deuteronomy because what we've got here is the Israelites perched on the border of the promised land, ready to go in. But where did they come from? Who are these people? How did they get there? So um, in order to know that, we have to go all the way to the the beginning of Exodus chapter 1. So turn in your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go all the way back. But let me give you a kind of a quick little summary of Exodus and Deuteronomy. It'll just take a couple minutes. And so in case you're unaware, this is where we're at. Um, at one point, after, the, uh, after Joseph has passed away and the, the Israelites are in the land of Egypt, they're actually in a place called Goshen, um, they become so large and so prosperous as a people that the Pharaoh at the time, who didn't know Joseph, gets nervous because they're becoming such a great big people. And he starts to think, well, they're going to get so big that they're going to overtake us. So what should we do? And so what they decide to do is work them really hard. Let's just work them really hard. And the more we work them, then the less time they'll have to be able to have children and they will stop growing in population. But in fact, what happens is the opposite. He works them really hard and somehow they're able to have more children. Uh, And so then they grow and grow. And so then it's decided, let's just make them slaves instead. And so the Pharaoh and all the Egyptians enslave the Israelites, and they're in slavery at that point for 400 years. Now, somewhere along the line, God raises up a man named Moses. And he kind of, uh, if you remember, he's born and then hid away so that he's not killed. And then he's raised Um, in like this miraculous way in the household of Pharaoh himself until he becomes of age and he realizes that he's not Egyptian, he's he's, um, a Jew. Um, And so he starts to take on this role of maybe I should help lead or maybe I should help protect my own people. And so what he does is he sees one day... um, Uh, an Egyptian beating uh, a Hebrew slave, and so he goes over and he kills the Egyptian to try and save the Hebrew slave. Well, he starts to think, well, this is going to make me kind of like the protector in their eyes. And so the next day, he goes up and he breaks up this argument between two Jewish guys, and they're like, whoa, what, are you going to kill us too? And all of a sudden, he realizes that this isn't going the way he had thought it would, and he runs out into the wilderness where he stays then for 40 years. Now, while he's in the wilderness for 40 years, tending his father-in-law's sheep, God speaks to him, and and God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to give him this message that it is time for him to let my people go. To which Moses says, are you sure you got the right guy? 
because I'm not good with the talking. To which God says, don't worry, I'm going to send to you, with you your brother Aaron, who is a good speaker. <laughs> a Pharaoh, uh, Moses ends up going back to Pharaoh, and you know the story, kind of. He says, uh, you know, you got, God says, let these people go, and Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, you know, there's a lot of back and forth there. And so uh, Moses eventually says, look, if you don't let God's people go, he's going to send these people these plagues on you. And Pharaoh essentially says, bring it on. And so then um, there's this course of 10 plagues like grasshoppers and frogs and blood water and all this crazy stuff and darkness and fleas and bugs and all, all sorts of unpleasant, horrible things. Each time Pharaoh says, okay, go. And then he changes his mind. He says, no, I changed my mind. You can't go. Then the last one is the Passover, right? He says, look, the angel of death is going to come through the land, and everybody who wants to not lose the firstborn needs to sacrifice a lamb, paint the blood on the doorposts, and then when the angel comes through, if he sees that, he will pass over your house, and the firstborn will all be spared. But if you don't have that on your doorposts and your lentil, then the angel of the Lord will come in and will take the life of the firstborn, all firstborn. Um, and so this happens, and that's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. Well, Pharaoh lets them go. And so they gather up all the people, and in one day, they just leave the entire city a mass exodus. That's why they call it that book. That's why that book is called that. They leave in this mass exodus out of the city. And as they go, all the Egyptian people start giving them all these precious things, gold and, and, and fabrics and food and all this stuff. Um, and I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would say, okay, thanks for all the plagues. Here's all of our valuables as well. But that's what they do. And I think that mostly that's God showing them, I'm giving you provision. You have nothing. You've been slaves. Here are some valuable things to provide at least some kind of a life to get you started. Well, they get all the way down to the Jordan River, and uh, they notice that Pharaoh has once again changed his mind, and he's sending the army down to, to either kill them or take them all back. And once again, God, in a miraculous way, provides a way for them to escape by parting the Red Sea. So great that it actually says that they passed over on dry land. So it wasn't like slippery, muddy path. It was dry land for, I don't know, like three million people to cross over. So they all go across, and then the Egyptian army comes down, and they follow them into the Red Sea, but the water comes crashing back in on them and drowns the entire army. And you probably didn't realize this, but also what happens is many of the weapons that the army had wash up on shore. I know this because right after this, they actually go into battle. The Israelites go into battle against the Amalekites. And had, what were they before they left Egypt? Slaves. What did they have? Did they have weapons? No. But all of a sudden they have weapons. Where did they get them from? God miraculously provided weapons from the Egyptian army who he destroyed in their, in their exodus, right? Isn't that cool? See how God works? It's like, you go, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I'm going to go before you. I'll take care of this. Anyway, they get into this, this land. They journey for a little while. They come to the place where God says, all right, I have promised this land, and it's a great land. I've promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your forefathers. All you have to do is go in and possess it. 
And the people look at the land, essentially they send in a few people to spy it out, and they come back with an evil report, and essentially the people decide that they are not going to go into the land, and this makes God angry, to which he says, okay, now you can wander around in the wilderness for the next 40 years until everyone 20 years old or older is dead. That's where we are. So it's the end of that wandering time. It's the end of the wandering time in the wilderness that we are looking at. That's where Joshua picks up. They're now perched on the the border once again of the promised land. And Moses is going to tell them at the end of Deuteronomy. And now Joshua is going to pick up and say, it is time to go into the land that was promised. Everybody with me? All right. So what we're going to do to start is look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. So actually... Don't turn to Joshua. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's just a couple of pages to the left. Chapter 31, verses 1 through 8, and it says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today and can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over the Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you, and he will destroy the nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. Then the Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong. And courageous, and do not fear or be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He says, Then Joshua called Moses and said to him, called, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courage, and be of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall call cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. And so in verse 31, Moses, pretty near the end of his life here at 120, says, look, um, here's the land. You're going to go in. I'm not going to be able to go with you. God has already told me that. You know, he had already established a while ago that Moses wasn't going to be the one who could lead them into the promised land. But Moses says, you're not going alone. He's giving you Joshua, who you know, because he's been with us these 40 years. You know him. He's going to be the one. And not only Joshua, but God is going to go before you, and he will not leave you, and he will not forsake you. So go in knowing that. Now, when I read that, I was reminded of where we ended just a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 28. At the end of it, Jesus himself says, go out into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look, I go with you even until the end of the age. And when we looked at that, we said the word with means I go before you, I go beyond you, I go after you. So Jesus says to them almost the same words that Moses says to Joshua in regards to God saying he's going before you, he's going to be behind you, he's going to be with you, he'll be under you, he'll be above you, he's with you, he won't leave you. So don't be afraid, be of good courage. Go and go into the land that he is giving you. So now turn to uh, 34, Deuteronomy 34. We're getting nearer. We're getting nearer to Joshua here. 
Now this is the end. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pishkah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south of the the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross over there. God says, Moses, here it is. He shows Moses a vast land. Later on, we're going to see the, some of the borders that he sets up. It's about 300,000 miles of territory that God says, I've given it to you. In fact, he's going to say, everywhere that you put the sole of your foot, I've given to you. He says, all you have to do is go in and take this vast land. And ultimately, do you know how much land they do take when they go in? That much. They're promised this. They go in and they take this. God promises this, and they only take this much. Man, like, is that what you're doing? God has made promises like this to you, and are we just satisfied with that? Oh, man. He says to Moses, look, this is the land. Again, he says to Moses, you're not going to go in. <laughs> Remember that? Remember when the people were like thirsty? It's been like 40 years and, and they're like thirsty and they come to Moses and they say, we're still thirsty. Why did you bring us out here to wander and die? And, and, so, and so Moses goes into God and he says, God, they're, they're complaining again. You know what God says? Moses, they're thirsty. You know what that? I actually love that about God. You know, because I can get like the people and you're like, you know, God's provided and provided and provided. And then one day I'm like, what do you mean the Bills game was canceled and moved to tomorrow? I'm available today. <laughs> Sorry, where did I go there? Sorry. Was, I, I, I could take for granted the things that God has blessed me with and still complain when something else doesn't go my way. And rather than God smack me down, he says, Moses, they're thirsty. Give them some water. So he says to Moses, just go out and take and, and speak to this rock, and water will come out. And so Moses picks up his rock, and he goes, you stiff-necked people, and he strikes the rock two times, and water comes out of it. Is that what God told him to do? God said, speak to the rock, Moses. And Moses struck the rock because he was angry with the people. And what did God do? He still provided water for the people. But then he said, Moses, come here. See that rock that you just smote? I told you to speak to it, but you struck it. Moses, you misrepresented me to the people. Yeah, you can't go into the promised land now. That's what he's referring to. But God said, Moses, you can't go in. Moses, you cannot be the one who leads the people into the promised land. That's going to be Joshua's job now. And so that's what he says. And so it says in verse 5 of chapter 34, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there on the land, in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, notice, God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. That's interesting. Moses died for real. He died like dead. And God buried him. 
so that no one would know where his body was. Why do you think God did that? I think it is because if they knew where his body was buried, they would have put up a shrine and worshipped him, and they would have collected little pieces of him, and they would have sold relics in their gift shops. Of, oh, these are all the, the, this is the actual piece of Moses. And God was like, not my servant. Dad, you're not going to do that with my servant. You're not going to worship Moses. God says, he says here, it states for us, Moses, he died. Moses was a servant of God. His life was for service to the Lord. It was for the Lord's purpose. When he had completed what the Lord had established for him to do, when he completed it, the Lord took him home. He said, Moses, you've completed everything that I've asked you to do. It's time. Now, yeah, he was 120 years old. He was old. Well, you know what? A hundred is old. A hundred came and went. God still was using Moses at a hundred years old, still using Moses. When he completed the task that God had for him, God said, now come home. Moses wasn't feeble. It says in the next verse in chapter 7 that his eyes had not dimmed and nor his natural vigor diminished. He was still in good shape. Can you imagine being in good shape at 120 years old? I hope I never get to 120. I hope I'm long gone by 120. But I hope it's because the Lord came back. It says that the Lord came and took him because his service was completed. You see, Job, Job reminds us in his book that God determines the number of our days. God determines the number of our days. He writes this, his days, speaking of mankind, are determined and the number of his months is with you, God, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. God has determined that already for us. Moses died. God buried him. It says, and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So now we see Moses is dead, he's gone, he's no longer leading the people. God appoints a new leader, or frankly, a new servant, named Joshua. So who is this guy, Joshua, that we're about to spend the next year and 14 days reading about? Joshua was a man. His name was Hoshua. His name was Hoshua. His parents named him Hoshua. It's a Hebrew name. It means salvation. Somewhere along the line, Moses changed it to Yehoshua, meaning God is salvation. He was born in Egypt, which means what? Born into slavery. Joshua was born into slavery. That means that he saw his parents come home. He probably saw the whip marks on the back of his father from being whipped by the taskmaster. He himself grew up in Egypt as a slave, which means he probably felt the whip on his back as well as he made bricks every single day for Egypt. Spent his life from the day he was born until the day they left as a slave. 
He was also, though, a witness of the miracles of God through Moses, through the ten plagues. He was there. He was involved with this. As they were happening, he was watching the frogs and the bugs and the darkness and the, and the Passover happen. He was a witness to it. He was a part of it right there in the city. In fact, we know from 1 Chronicles chapter 7 in the genealogy that he was a firstborn son. So we know that not only was he a witness to Passover, he actually was personally spared from death by the blood of the Lamb when the angel of death came through. We don't actually meet Joshua until after the Red Sea crossing. So after they've passed out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and then they're on the other side, it says about three weeks later as they're traveling through, the Amalekites attack. And not head on, by the way. If you remember, the Amalekites come and they attack them from the rear, attacking the stragglers and the weak. At that point, Moses goes to a a young 40-year-old Joshua and says, take some men and go down and defend our people against the Amalekites. Like, with what? With the weapons that God provided you from the flooded Egyptian army. But were these guys soldiers? Had they had any training on how to be a soldier? Three weeks ago, they were slaves. But Joshua said, okay. Picked up a sword, picked up a shield, led some men into battle against the Amalekites. Now, if you don't remember the story, this is what happened. Moses went up onto a high mountain to look down on the whole battle. And he discovered that when he held his hands up in the air, the Um, Joshua and his army had victory in the battle. But if you've ever stood like this for any length of time, pretty soon you start going like, and as he dropped his arms, the Amalekites started to win. So then he would put his arms back up again, and then Joshua would start to have victory. But then his arms would lower again, and then the Amalekites again. You can imagine there was like, yay, we're winning. Oh, we're losing. Yay, we're winning. And you're just looking up at Moses. He's up there doing calisthenics on the mountaintop. Eventually what happens is his brother and another man named um, um, Hur come over, and they hold up his arms. They're, like, they're holding up his arms so that his arms... And I think the Amalekites were like, that's not fair. That's a crazy way to win a battle, isn't it? Would you ever imagine that's how, that's how you win a battle? What's God saying right there? The victory that you guys just had, that belongs to me. That battle belongs to me. That victory is because of me. That's going to be a reoccurring message throughout this entire book. In fact, it's a reoccurring message throughout my entire life. The battles belong to God The victories are because of him. I'm not victorious on my own. I'm victorious because of him. That's where we first meet Joshua. God tells Moses to go in and take the land. The first time they're out, the first time they come to the promised land, he's like, Moses... I've got this land, I promise you, it's amazing. He actually says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Mmm. You know what that means, really? It has everything you need and everything that makes life sweet. 
milk and honey, provision and sweetness. And he says, and it's all there. You know, and God doesn't really say right away, oh, and there's going to be some battles and some obstacles and some things that you're going to have to overcome. But he does say, but when you do face those things, I'm going before you. In fact, he's going to say, I've already given you the land. You don't have to wait for me to give it to you. I've already given it to you. So just go in now and take it. And the people are like, I don't know. I mean, you did split the sea, and you did defend us from the Egyptian army, and you did provide this miraculous battle with the Amalekites, but I don't know about this whole promised land thing. Maybe what we should do is send in some spies to check it out. Moses relents and says, okay, let's send in spies. And they send in 12 spies into the land to see if it is as God had said. Can you imagine? Let's send in spies to see if it is as God has promised. So they send in spies. The spies are in the land for how many days? It's got to be one of those Bible numbers. 40, that's right. It's either 3 or 7 or 40. You know, it's one of those. It's 40 days. And they come out. And 10 of the 12 spies come out. And they're like, all right. It is pretty cool. I mean, the land is great. It's lush. In fact, the produce is amazing. Look at these grapes. And they've got these huge clusters of grapes. Like, look at it. But also... There are mighty walled cities and fierce armies, and they will crush us like bugs if we go in there. We can't beat them. In essence, they were right, weren't they? In their own strength, they could not do it. They would not be able to overcome even the smallest obstacle, which we will see later on as we travel through this book. But God had said, I will give you the victory. They didn't believe him. In fact, what happened is two other spies came out with them. One of them was a guy named Caleb, and one of them was a guy named Joshua. Same Joshua. Caleb and Joshua come out of the promised land, and they're like, it's amazing. You won't believe it. It's lush. It's green. It, it, there's, look at this produce. I, they were really about the produce. They really loved all the, the, the fruit was amazing. And they came out and they're like, yes, there's some mighty armies. And yes, there's some wall cities. But come on, let's go. God said we could do it. Let's go. The 10 came with an evil report. And they convinced all the people, no, we cannot go. We cannot go in there. And all of the people became afraid And their fear overcame their faith, and they didn't go in. And God said, fine, don't go in. Wander around until you die. You will be in the wilderness now until you die. He said, everyone 20 years or older, until everyone 20 years or older are dead, then we'll revisit this whole going into the promised land. And so they spent their time in the wilderness. But this is what I realized In that time of the wilderness was when God gave them the Ark of the Covenant or the the seed of the testimony. He gave them the tabernacle. He established sacrifice. He established the priesthood. He created um, the law of Moses. God, even in the wilderness, did amazing things. He can do amazing things even though you find yourself occasionally in the wilderness. Ever happened? 
You ever find yourself in kind of a dry place? You're like, ah, I don't feel that close to God. And then he does something amazing in your life anyway, and what's it do? It draws you back in. He's amazing that way. Let's talk about the promised land. To them, it was an actual geographical location. It's right over there. See, there's the Jordan River. We're going there. 300,000 square miles of property that God has said he's giving to us. We're not going to take even a fraction of it, but, but it's there. That was the place where God wanted them to dwell after being freed from the bondage of Egypt. That was where he wanted them to dwell. God said this is a place of milk and honey. He also says that there's going to be some battles along the way, but the victory comes through me, he says. The promised land is symbolic of something in our lives too, but it is not heaven. There have been some old-time preachers and some hymns that sing about the fact that the promised land is that place that we go to for eternal rest or heaven, and that can't be it. It can't be. Because in the promised land, we're going to see that they are going to have battles and obstacles and fear and pain and tears and loss, and none of that is in heaven. There is no battle in heaven. There's no fear or obstacle or pain. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land, I believe, is what the Bible would say is the abundant life of Christ that every believer has the option of entering into through the power of the Holy Spirit. That abundant life, that means that we can have joy in the midst of sadness. And I'm not talking happiness. I'm talking joy, the thing that God gives us so that you can be joyful when you're not happy. Happy is an emotion that's based on situation. Happiness is somebody makes you a, a yellow cake with chocolate frosting from scratch for your birthday. And you're just like, yeah. But then you eat the whole thing. And now it's gone, and you have a stomach ache, and now you're not happy, but you could still be joyful. Joy goes beyond emotions or situations. The abundant Christian life is the life that we can lead when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and able to do things we would never be able to do in our flesh. Can a Christian, can a Christian live their life in the wilderness? Yeah. Many do. You can live your life in the wilderness, allowing that dry feeling to, oh, I guess I'm going to heaven one of these days. Or you can be like, I'm going to heaven. I have the assurance of it in the Bible. It's called the, the hope, and it's not, I hope I get it. It's the hope that means there's something better to come, and I'm going there. And, but while I'm here, I'm going to tell other people about it so they can go too, because I don't want to be there by myself. promised land, this place that we can go, that God has promised to us, that he says, I want you to dwell in this place after you have been freed from the bondage of sin. Christian, go there. Embrace that. Well, since we're talking about symbolism, let's not leave Joshua out. I mean, at the end of Deuteronomy, God shows Moses that the land, but then he tells them, you can't lead the people into this land, Moses. You can't do it. Rather, Joshua is going to be the one who leads them in. Well, what's so symbolic about that? Well, in the Bible, Moses is a symbol of the law. 
And God essentially says the law or following the rules isn't going to lead you into that abundant life of Christ. You need Jesus to do that. Jesus and only Jesus. Did you know that Joshua is actually the Hebrew name of the Greek name Jesus? So Jesus and Joshua are essentially the same name. In fact, my friend just mentioned this to me today, the Greek word for name is anoma, and it means authority. Isn't that neat? So the name of Joshua and the name of Jesus have the same authority in the sense that Joshua will lead the people in where, the, where Moses couldn't. Jesus has the authority to lead us in when the law can never do it. Also, listen, when Gabriel appears to Mary um, in Matthew, I forgot the chapter, 1, Matthew 1, <laughs> way at the beginning, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Matthew 1, chapter 21, Gabriel says to Mary, you're going to have a son, but he says, you will call his name Jesus. The, the, Gabriel doesn't say his name is Jesus. It says you will call his name Jesus. What is his name? The Word. Right? That's what John says. The Word. His name is the Word. But she says, while he's here, you're going to call his name Jesus. Jesus, because like Joshua, he is the one who will lead the people into the place where the law could never do it. Isn't that cool? I, I think it's cool. Anyway, all right. We have 13 minutes to get through Joshua chapter 1. Are you ready? Let's do it, Joshua. That was all introduction, John. All introduction. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, he came to pass, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Mo Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go and, and arise, go over the Jordan, you and all the people to the land, which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. God comes to Joshua now, and he says, Moses is dead. They had been mourning him for 30 days. God says, the time of mourning is done. It is now time to get up and go. And he says this to Joshua, who, by the way, it says, is Moses' assistant for 40 years. 40 years. Can you imagine being the assistant for 40 years? I wonder if, if Joshua was ever like, man, I wonder if this guy's ever going to retire. Let me give my chance to... I actually don't see that in Joshua's character at all. Joshua is where he is because he said yes whenever he was asked. Joshua, go down and defend our people from the Amalekite army. Yes, I will go. Hey, Joshua, be my assistant for the next 40 years. Yes, I will do that. Joshua, it's now time for you to lead the people into the land of promise. Yes, I will do that. A series of yeses. I don't see anywhere where Joshua's like, when's my turn to be the leader? He simply says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And in fact, what we see here is Joshua goes from being the assistant or the servant of one guy to actually being the assistant or servant to everybody. He's a one-man servant, and now he is every person's servant. 
as he goes to lead the people into Israel, uh, the promised land. Uh, and every place he says that your soul of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, every place where your foot will tread upon, he says, I'm giving to you. For the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you and I will not leave you nor forsake you. He says, you will go into this land and you will have victory, but not because you're great, because I'm giving you the victory. He says, I won't let anyone stand against you. What we're going to see is when they go in and they do it exactly as God says to do it, they have victory. When they go in and say, you know what, God, we got this one. You just you know, take a break. We'll, we'll handle this one. They get defeated every time. Every time. We'll see that as we walk through this. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. These are familiar words, aren't they? In fact, isn't that what Jesus said? Remember, I'm going to be with you even until the end of the age. I'm going to be before you. I'm going to be beyond you. I'm going to be behind you, above you. I will go with you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide it as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Do not turn from it to the left hand or to the right that you may prosper wherever you go. It's interesting to me. He says, I want you to be strong and courageous. Or he says, I want you to be courageous and steadfast in this new role that I'm putting you in. I want you to be strong or courageous and steadfast, meaning planted firmly but then he says, but I want you to be very steadfastly planted when it comes to what? Being about the word. Because being planted on the word is what will help him to be steadfast. Like you could take a stand, but if you're standing on something that's not solid, then your stand is no good. But if you're standing on the solid word of God, you can be steadfastly planted. And that's what God is telling Joshua. There's going to be a challenge, Joshua. Well, you're going to have to be strong when you lead these people. But that strong leadership is going to be based on your steadfast position on my word. He says that we're to stand on the solid rock of Christ because all other ground is what? Sinking sand. You ever try and get a firm fitting down at the beach, a firm standing? What happens is your foot starts to go out like this, or you start to sink into it, because you can't get a firm, steadfast uh, plant on sand. But you can on the steadfast, strong word of God. He says, don't stray from the left or from the right, or go to the left or to the right. When I read that, immediately the verse that came to mind was, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. That you may prosper wherever you go. So all I have to do is um, whatever God tells me to do, um, I'll do it, and then I'll be rich. No? Is that... 
not how it works. So unfortunately, there are some people that take the word prosper here and they say, well, obviously it means prosper financially. So if I'm a good Christian, it means I should be rich. I shouldn't be poor if I'm a Christian. But the word prosper in Hebrew doesn't mean anything having to do with finances. It only means that you will be able to be prudent or make wise decisions. Now think about that. He's saying be firmly planted on the word of God. And if you do, you will make wise decisions. If you are not planted firmly on the word of God, what kind of decisions do you typically make? Think about your own life. Unwise decisions. In fact, sometimes bad decisions. And so it's the same advice that he gives to Joshua that he is telling to us. Be firmly planted on the word of God so that the decisions that you have to make all the time are prudent or wise decisions. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. He says, Joshua, meditate on this word. Read the word. It's believed that actually Joshua had the first five books of the, of the Bible. And he's saying, read these. Let it permeate your life and your mind, and it will cause you to make good decisions. Do you guys do that? Do you meditate on the word? Do you think about it? Do you let the word permeate your life so deeply that you can recall it like that? Think about a movie you've seen a hundred times. Everyone do it. Ready? Go. Think about a movie you've seen a hundred times. I'll bet that you can think of a quote from that movie without even thinking too hard. It just like pops up into your mind. Like probably six or seven quotes from a movie that you've seen a hundred times that you can quote without any problem at all. In fact, I'll bet that you could pull that quote out at just the right moment in any situation and it just fits perfectly and you find yourself like this toto i don't think we're in kansas anymore <laughs> just like that or how about this never go in against a sicilian when death is on the line in that you know where that's from thank you very much actually in essence the word of god should work the same way in our lives able to recall a passage that fits just right in any situation. Do not fear for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. That's a good one. That's the one that I hold on to because, you know, sometimes you can feel overwhelmed. He says, Joshua, meditate on this word. I have not commanded, verse 9, oh, he says, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. First of all, I mean, how many times is he going to say, don't be afraid, be of good courage, be strong? Why does he keep saying it? Because it was going to be scary. They were going into a land that they were going to have to do battle in, although God has promised them victory if they walk hand in hand with him, but still scary. How many of you have been really devoted Christians for a long time? Just me and my daughter. That's it. Okay, excellent. (laughs) Do you still have moments that are scary in your walk? 
moments where you're like, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm scared about this, I don't know what's going to happen. Of course we do, but God says, don't be afraid, be strong, be of good courage. Constantly reminding us. And then he says this, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this, this, this is in English. In Hebrew, I love it more because it says wherever and whatever. He is with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Now, is that a promise that makes you feel good or does that make you nervous? You mean God's with me in whatever I'm doing? Oh, sorry, God. He's with me wherever I'm going? God wants that to be a good thing in your life. He wants that to be good. Then Joshua, commander of the officer of commanded the officer of the people saying, pass through the camp, command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you will cross over the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess. In, 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 New, in the regular King James, it doesn't say provisions. It says vittles. <laughs> that sounds like an Old West word. Vittles. He says, prepare what you need for the journey ahead of you. But then he says, in three days, you're going to cross over the Jordan. You understand that this time, the Jordan River is overflowing its banks. The water is rushing down. And Joshua just comes up and says, God says we're going to cross the river in three days. And, and they must be thinking, what? how? How are we possibly going to cross the Jordan? We don't have boats. We don't build bridges. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't God just split the sea and let us walk through it? Didn't he just defend us against the army? There's this constant kind of rotation of, how's that going to be possible? That ever happened to you? <laughs> God does something miraculous in your life, and before too long, you've just completely forgotten about it, and a new obstacle is facing you. are like, how am I ever going to do this? How are we ever going to get through this? And I think God must be like, I think God must be like doing eye rolls on a regular basis, just being like, I'm God. And then this last part, it says, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you, the rest, the re giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But... You shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you will return to your land and your possession and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan, uh, this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. There were two and a half tribes that came to Moses on this side of the Jordan and said, look, we know that God has got some great land promised over there. We're good here. Let us just stay. We're satisfied with this land. We're satisfied with not the promised land, just this land. Let us stay here. You guys go ahead and go over. And Moses at the time said, okay, if that's what you really want, if you want to be satisfied with the not promised land, then go ahead and stay. But when it comes time for this people to go over and to fight against the people in that land in order to possess the land, you are going to go and help them. And they were like, all right, 
you know, it's been like a long time. Like all of a sudden Josh was saying, remember what Moses said? You guys are going to have to fight. And they're like, I'm old now. No, but they were like, you're coming. Actually, no, no, no another time. <laughs> I only have four minutes, so. So he says, you have to go and fight with your brothers in the land of promise to help them. And once God has given them rest in the land, then you can go back to your families and you can find your own rest in the land outside of the land that God promised if that's what you want to be content with. And so they answered and they said, so they answered Joshua saying, all you have commanded us we will do and wherever you send us we will go just as we heeded Moses in all things. Hmm. <laughs> I would be afraid if I was Joshua and they said, as, as much as we obeyed Moses, we're going to obey you in the same way because they were horrible with Moses. They complained constantly. But they say here, that just in the way that we uh, obeyed Moses, we're going to also obey you. Only the Lord your God may be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and be courageous. Again, it comes up again. And so they say, yes, we will go. We will fight. Whatever it is you say to do, just as we were obedient to Moses, we will be obedient to you. And if any of us say no, let him be killed. And then they said, and Joshua, you go and you be strong and you be of good courage as you go in. That's where we're going to end today. There you go. Chapter 1, Joshua, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the word of God that you have given to us, your word, your message, Lord. I thank you uh, for opening it up and revealing it to us and speaking into the places of our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would have that willingness to hear <coughs> and to accept. Lord, I, I pray that the things that were said today uh, would be breaking into the hearts of those of us who need to hear these things, Lord, who need to be reminded of the constant meditation of the word, Lord, that it could permeate our, not just our minds, but our lives and our actions. Lord, I pray that we would also be reminded that even though we do face battles and obstacles, Lord, that if we hold on to you and allow you to do the work, that, the, that you will give us victory in that, Lord. I, I hold on to that, Lord, so I thank you. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place today that uh, we would be even a little changed than when we came in here today based on the word of God. Lord, and I just pray for um, just for this, the safety of all of us as we leave here, as the weather gets a little cold and a little rainy and a little uh, nasty. Lord, please just give us safety as we as we go home today. I just thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.